and welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I am broadcasting from WOUF Woof Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you haven't clicked subscribe or that follow button, go ahead and do so right now. New episodes come out every Wednesday morning. You're going to want to check them out. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Speak a Dogcast. Now, yes, I know there was no new episode last week. I do apologize for that. Uh, We were having a little bit of technical difficulties and things were just a little crazy. Couldn't get it all figured out in time. Uh, But here we are this week with a new episode. We'll be back next week with a new episode, the week after with a new episode. So you're going to want to come check them out. Now, today on the show, we have to ask, what's a good dog? Yeah, what is a good dog? You can ask that question to 10 different people, get 10 different answers. But we're going to bring it all together today. And we're going to talk about more Uh, of what it takes to create a good dog. Then we're going to have walks, walks, and more walks. You hear me talk about it over and over and over. (laughs) Because without a doubt, guys, it's the most important part of dog training. Got to get a proper walk under control with your dog, fixes most behavioral issues. Then we're going to have a uh, brand new segment on the show. Yeah, you know what? Breed of the Week is going to go away at least for a little while. We've had 75 breeds of the week, or excuse me, 74 (laughs) breeds of the week so far. So I think it's time to introduce a new segment that we're going to have here, and it's called the First Pets going to be all about the presidential pets of the United States. It's very big. You know, animals really have an integral part in the history of this country. We're going to talk more about that. Then comes the listener Q&A. And if you guys have any uh, questions for that question and answer session, go ahead and shoot them over my way. You can email me questions at speak a dog cast, or Hey, feel free to message me on any social media platform as well. Your question might get featured on the show. But before we get going with today's show, got to give you that trivia question. Today's question is going to be, What is the only butterfly known to migrate? Yes, what is the only butterfly that is known to migrate? I'll give you the answer to that question somewhere in today's podcast, so be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy the show. Next on Speak a Dogcast, what is a good dog? What makes up a good dog, you know? You could ask this question to a few people and you're going to get a few different answers because quite frankly, what you view as a desirable behavior in your dog, the next person might not, right? Uh, one of the most easy and basic examples of this is dog on, dogs on the furniture, right? Do you guys allow dogs on your furniture? Do you not? I've actually done a whole segment on this. And it, just to sum it up, it's really an arbitrary rule, Right. People who don't want their dogs on the furniture are obviously going to think a dog that jumps on the furniture in their house is not a good dog. (laughs) But someone who doesn't mind having their dog on the furniture, different story. Now, to me, it's how the dog jumps on the furniture. Eh, We're not going to get into that. That's that other segment. Go go find that one. Um, (laughs) But again, it's kind of this arbitrary rules. This way of looking at it is what is a good dog? Now, I can tell you as a professional, as an animal behavior specialist, I'll tell you what I believe And look, I'm sorry, but what I know, what I know to be a good dog. And to me, when you think about what makes a good dog, I think more importantly, more than anything, I have to focus on their their, their mental side, you know, the mental side of things, the training side, the behavioral side, the psychological side in order to create a good dog. Because in my opinion, my opinion, in all my experience that I've had, I have never met an anxious dog that in my opinion is truly a good dog. Okay, now don't get me wrong, they have good traits. I'm not saying they're a bad dog. You know, guys, there's different levels here. It's not that black and white. But if you want my true opinion, 
a true good dog is a well-adjusted dog, is a mentally stable dog. You guys hear me talk about it all the time. If you listen to this podcast regularly, you hear me talk about mental stability and stability. Because at the end of the day, every animal on this planet, every single one of us, dogs, cats, birds, humans, you name it, pig, otter, raccoon, uh, platypus, <laughs> okay, it doesn't matter. Every animal wants some form of stability in their life. Now, what that stability looks like, of course, it's going to vary animal to animal, species to individual to individual. What you look at as creating stability in your life may not quite be the same as everybody else, but what I can tell you is there are some generalized uh, things about stability that we all want, right? We all want a roof over our head. We want food on the table. We want water, clean water to drink, a place to lay our head at night that's comfortable. We want a lot of these things that are all common amongst all humans, okay? And so what all of these things create is stability. And so I can guarantee you every animal on this planet wants stability, every single, every single one. And so if we want to start looking at what a good dog is, well, to me, I have to look at is, is that dog mentally stable? Are they well-adjusted? Are they anxious? Are they not? Right? That's, that's the essence of creating a good dog. People say, well, what, you know, my dog jumps on, they jump on people. Does that make them a bad? No, it doesn't necessarily make them a bad dog, but I can tell you there's some overexcitement with your dog and overexcitement is a form of anxiety. I don't know about you guys, but I don't want my dog to be anxious. So if you're going to ask me, here's an anxious dog, here's an, a, a stable dog, which one is the which one is a good dog? And they're not good and bad. <laughs> but come on, guys, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this out. If you're walking down the street and you see a dog pulling their owner down the street and you see a dog walking well with their owner, you're going to go, wow, that's a good dog. That one's not so much. Like, be honest with yourself here. You know what a good dog is, most of you. Uh, <laughs> we'll talk about you exceptions in a few minutes. I'm sorry, I might hurt a few feelings here. Um, but, you know, most of us know what a good dog is. We just have, like, kind of forgotten how to get our dogs there. You know? Uh, no, it's why I have a job, right? I, I bridge the gap. I bridge a communication gap between owner and dog. But, look, guys, it, you know, everything I've said aside so far... <sighs> I think a lot of dogs out there could be better, could be a gooder dog. <laughs> I know, uh, you know, I, I do. And look, everybody's got room for improvement. My own dogs have room for improvement. They're not perfect. None of us are perfect. I'm not perfect. No animal's perfect. Um, we can hope that we condition and repeat these behaviors enough that we get we get good, right? We get good. We don't get perfect, but we get a good dog. So... At the end of the day, uh, there are a lot of not so good dogs out there, guys. I know it because I get phone calls all the time for it. You know what I mean? Like, or I just see it walking down the street. So, okay, what is a good dog? How do you identify what a good dog is? Um, you know, look, let's. It goes back to that mentally stable side, and of course, in order to get a mentally stable dog, guys, what do we have to do? We have to exercise them and get on a proper walk. Okay, so if you want to get a good dog, it starts with that. It starts with mentally getting your dog engaged with you and creating focus. You know, look, I, I had a recent client um, where we went for a consult. I, look, <laughs> here's the story I can pretty much tell for almost every single client I meet with. Just complete honesty time, guys. Complete honesty time. When I go to a consultation, I'll always ask, how are the walks? <laughs> 
How do the walks go? How are they? And do you know what the answer is? I would say almost 80% of the time, I'm not even kidding, 80% of the time it's, oh no, they're pretty good. You know, I would say the walks are pretty good. And when I take the dog for a walk about five minutes after that, do you think the walk is pretty good? <laughs> no, it's not. It's really not. Um, and that's their, that's the biggest problem. That's the biggest issue when it comes to creating a good dog is people don't properly walk their dog. And as I've said time and time again, if you don't properly walk your dog, you can't gain focus from your dog. If you can't gain proper focus from your dog, you can't train them. If you can't train them, how do you make a good dog without training? I don't know. Look, sure, one in a million, you luck into a phenomenal dog. It happens, <laughs> sure, but that doesn't happen most of the time. It's just like children, guys. You don't luck into having a good kid. It's damn good parenting that creates a good child, a well-rounded child, you know? It, it's good parenting, and it's no different with your dog. You have to look at it as, especially if you get a puppy, you know, when you get a puppy, you're taking that puppy away from its siblings, from its mother. And really what you're doing is you're taking away information from that dog that it needs to be a good dog. And see, that's what ends up happening, guys. We take dogs away from their natural, instinctual way to learn and grow. We don't give them that, that information that we've taken away. We give what well, we do. We give them information. It's just crappy information and not the information they need to be a well-rounded dog. And then we get bad behaviors. We get undesired behaviors. We get not good dogs, you know? And so that's really what ends up happening here. And again, the walk is the first and foremost way I see vast majority of my clients, vast majority of my clients. I've never, I've literally, literally never walked into a home I mean, look, I could say, David, you're a trainer. Like, of, of course you walked into a home. You've never walked into a home. I've never walked into a home and had the dog walk well. It's never happened. It's never, I've never walked into a house uh, with a client and their dog already walks really well or even pretty well or even kind of good. Never. It's never happened, you know? And I think that really speaks to, to how we view our training and how we view a good dog. Okay, so I know I kind of went off on a little, little bit of a tangent here, but guys, I mean, come on, it always goes back to the walk. You hear it segment after segment after segment. You are probably so sick of hearing me say, walk your dog, aren't you? But man, is it the solution. It fixes so many things. A proper walk, a focused walk, a meaningful walk, you know? Yeah. So... What is a good dog? <laughs> let's, let's get back to it before I get too off subject here. Um, what is a good dog to me? Look, I, I can try to list it off in a couple things. And I, I you know, it's funny. I didn't want to, I honestly didn't want to prep this segment too much today uh, beforehand because I kind of just wanted to, to just, just talk about it uh, and really give you that gut feeling of what I know and feel. Because there is, there's some feel to it. But what I truly know and believe and feel is a good dog. Okay, so let's let's just see if I can kind of uh, uh, go through a couple, like a list here. What's a good dog? A good dog is a dog who knows how to focus. Starts with a walk to get a dog to focus. Okay, a good dog is a dog that knows how to focus. And I don't just mean when I've got treats in my hand. I don't mean when it's training time. I don't just mean when it's feeding time. I'm talking about you have the ability to guide and direct that dog's focus with, with almost no matter what is going on. 
That is what create more than anything, guys, more than anything. That's the first more than anything. That's what creates a good dog focus, because if you have the ability to guide and direct focus, you have the ability to guide and direct behavior. Okay. Look, guys, it's all just conditioning. We've talked about this before. It's all just conditioning. It's what you strengthen, what behaviors you strengthen, right? So if you strengthen focus, well, you know you have the ability to, again, guide and direct them, okay? So that's, that's the first thing, focus. Second thing, exercise, right? Exercise, man, I, I've been trying to work out more lately and it's, it's been a slow process because I, I really don't wanna hurt myself. I'm not in the best shape, so I gotta take it slow because every time I try to get back in shape, I rush it too quick and because I'm out of shape. <laughs> you know, I can walk. I can walk for three hours straight, man, and I can go at a pace that y'all would be tired in about 20 minutes. Uh, I can walk forever, but, you know, I got to really work out again. I got to do a full workout uh, because I walk dogs all the time. Um, you know, I went hiking a couple weeks ago. Man, I, I was I was damn proud of myself, and it's all because I walk dogs a lot. You know, I can handle that. I've got the endurance for it. Uh, but anyway, exercising your dog. I feel better when I exercise. I know they do, too. Okay, we've talked about the importance of the walk, so we're not gonna, I'm not going to hound you more and more and more about that. But really, exercise, guys. A dog who is tired is more apt to be focused. Look, there's a reason kids have recess in school. It's not just for fun. Uh, there's a little bit more thinking behind it. It's to let the kids get their excess energy out because when they get that excess energy out, they're able to focus better once they get back in the classroom. So exercise is definitely a part of it. The walk is not the only way to do the exercise too, guys. I'm talking playtime, you know, swim time, dog park time, uh, fetch, uh, mental games too, of course. But we do need to get some of that physical energy out too. Dogs obviously have physical energy that we need to spend, right? So focus and exercise. Now, the third thing is we need to feed off of the focus. We do need to create rules, boundaries, and discipline. Absolutely, there has to be structure. So that structure takes on different forms. Now, whether that structure is just basic commands, basic obedience, right? Sit, stay, lie down, leave it, drop it, um, uh, go to your crate, uh, release command. There's all these different things that we can incorporate into that. That's a part of it. The other part of structure is routine. We've talked about routine before. Uh, creating a good routine for your dog is definitely going to be healthy, um, excuse me, and create a good dog, okay? So gotta get that routine going, you know? routine is healthy for all of us. I am sometimes, look, I work for myself and I don't have kids and, you know, my wife and I, were, we, we really get to make our own schedules for the most part. And sometimes that's a bad thing. <laughs> Luckily, the dogs keep me on, on a better routine. Man, if I didn't have the dogs, I don't know what my routine would look like, <laughs> right? So they keep me on track to, to keep a good routine for them. So create some consistency, not too much. Okay, now, you know, fourth thing I'm going to come up with what creates a good dog. I just talked about the rules, discipline, and boundary. Discipline. Discipline, guys. Discipline creates a good dog. I'm not saying discipline needs to be harsh. Talked about discipline before. Again, uh, look, discipline, it, it kind of, structure and boundaries is discipline, okay? So not allowing your dog to jump straight on your lap whenever the hell they feel like it. Not allowing your dog to steal food off the counters. That's discipline, there's nothing wrong with providing discipline. And as a matter of fact, we all work that way, guys. We all work that way. I get disciplined if I drive down the street at 100 miles an hour. You do too. Uh, you know, so discipline is a necessary part of life, but it needs to come with balance. Okay. We're not going to dive too much into discipline today, but that is a very big part 
of what creates a good dog, rules and structure. Now, of course, there's got to be love. I'll give you the fifth one, love, affection. Absolutely. You have to have a relationship with your animal. You can't just provide discipline and expect your dog to listen. It's not going to work. Okay. Look, I, I think back to like my childhood where I actually, I was lucky enough that I had a pretty good relationship with my parents. Now they were still my parents. They weren't my best friend (laughs) as they shouldn't be my best friend. I was a kid. Um, but we had rules, we had discipline, but we also had a lot of affection. I knew my parents told me, I mean, we, I knew I was loved and that love sometimes came in the form of tough love because I needed it because I was a kid. Uh, and it's no different with our dogs. That balance, that's how you create a good relationship. And look, to this day, I, I still talk to my parents, right? <laughs> so clearly there's a relationship still there. And of course, you know, look, parents are parents and, you know, they're, they're not perfect, but man, uh, I'm lucky that my parents provided those boundaries for me, the, the boundaries of affection and discipline, Okay. So I'm grateful for that. And you know something? My dogs, it's the same thing. There's affection and discipline. And look, I can't tell you how over the years how many compliments I've gotten of my dogs on how well-behaved, how happy they look, how wonderful they are, how, how they're in great shape physically. My veterinarians years after year after year say how calm they are, how good they look, how they're not overweight, how it's such a relief to see dogs that aren't overweight. Hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, everybody. Um, <laughs> Okay, so, you know, I know what creates a good dog. I know what creates a good dog. And it's all these things we just talked about. Okay, I I can't stress it enough. Um, But first and foremost, I just want to reiterate, focus, guys, focus, 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 focus. It's so important to teach your dog to focus, no matter what's going on, whether they're on leash or off leash, 50 yards away or 10 yards away. Okay, whether you have food or not. Can you control your dog's focus? Because that more than anything, I think, is really what creates a good balanced dog. And more to the point of, of instinct, right? Look, in, instinct dictates, we, you know, that dogs, they have a hierarchy. We all know it. They have a hierarchy. There's one person in charge, and that should be you. That should be the human. And if you guys control your dog's focus, what that allows them to do is focus less on being worried about the pack, because the leader should be worried about the pack, right? And if they're not the leader... They don't need to be worried about it. And if you control their focus, they're not going to feel as though they need to overcompensate. And, okay. So that's just one aspect of why taking their focus and, and, and making it to you as opposed to everything else around them helps create a stable dog. You're showing them you've got this. You're in control. And that's a good thing. Makes them feel more comfortable, makes them feel more confident, and makes them a good dog. Hone in on that focus first and foremost, guys. But all those other hints are great too. Uh, Really take all this into consideration because in my opinion, that's what's going to make a good dog for you. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? We can help. At The Nature of Training, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Offering a wide variety of services such as in-home training, doggy and puppy boot camps, doggy day camps, boarding, and now offering virtual training as well. For more information, check out our website, www.thenatureoftraining.com, or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram at David Paws. 
Located in beautiful Palm City, Florida, serving all of the Treasure Coast and North Palm Beach County. The nature of training, helping you achieve success with your pet. Next on Speak a Dogcast, walks, walks, and more walks. I've said it once, I've said it twice, I've said it a million times, guys. Get out there and walk your dog. You know why? Because it is the best, best way, the most basic foundational building block and the best way to train and start working with your dog. I can't stress enough. Look, if you've ever played sports, they say go back to basics, right? Always, You always have to know the fundamentals. Go back to basics. The walk is the basics, guys. Okay, it's everything. Get out there. Walk your dog. I don't care the size, the breed. Get out there. Daily walks. Walk, 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 walk. I would walk 500 miles with my dog. I would walk 5,000 more just to be the man. You know, da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da. All right, no, no, I'm stop. I'm stop. I'm stop. I'm stop. Okay. (laughs) I know that reference might be lost on some of you younger people. Uh, All right, we're done. Let's let's move on. I don't want to show my age. Uh, I'm not that old, but old enough. (laughs) I'm old enough to know better. There we go. Okay, guys. No, but seriously, you've got to get out there and walk your dog. I I just, I can't stress it enough. And that's why I say it so many times on this podcast, because the walk is where it's at. Look, I'm going to say it right now. If you've hired a trainer recently and they don't start with a good walk, find a new trainer. <laughs> I mean that in the nicest way possible, but they're wasting your time. If they don't start with basic leash work with the walk, I don't know what they're doing. I'll be honest, I don't know what they're doing uh, because it always starts with the walk. And all my years of experience, guys, goes back to the walk. It goes back to the walk. Look, when I first started training, um, I, I knew the importance of a walk back then, but I didn't know exactly how to get my walk to that to 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 the level it needed to be at. And it took it took a little while reading, research, and such, and and experience, and just hey, trial and error for that matter. And once my walk really started to gain traction, you know, and become a good quality walk, it was, it was more than just walking. It was a mission. It was a job. It was awesome. Uh, my dogs really started to benefit so much more from it, and I could see the difference. And then when I started taking, you know, originally I just did in-home training, and then eventually I started bringing dogs into my own care, doing a board and train kind of thing, and I'm doing that now. Uh, you know, you really start to see the benefit that the walk has on every type of behavioral issue. Okay. You know, I've taken in dogs that are just puppies, right? Every kind, I mean, all different types of breeds, sizes, ages of puppies, right? I've brought in uh, rescue dogs. I've brought in adult dogs. I've brought in like, uh, you know, a couple of years. I mean, I've brought in everything under the sun. We brought in aggression issues, right? Aggression tendency dogs. And I can't, if there is one thing I could pinpoint that helps with behavior, generalized rule for every single one of these dogs, without a doubt, without fail, it's a proper walk. Do you know why proper walks are so important? Do you know the reason it works? Because it's instinct. It goes back to instinct, guys. Look, we're, we're all animals. Myself, you, we're, we're all animals. We kind of forget that sometimes, uh, arrogant beings that we are. But we're animals. We are creatures of this earth, just like everything else around us. And just like every other animal around us, we have instinctual needs that need to be fulfilled. What happens when those those needs don't get fulfilled, guys? Whether it be mental or physical, what happens when those instinctual needs don't get fulfilled? We get frustration. We get anger, maybe. We get maybe even depression. We get all these things that 
we have to have our instinctual needs fulfilled. That's why we all go out and work and have jobs and uh, it feels good to earn money, doesn't it? Rather than have it handed to you because it fulfills an instinctual need. So it's no different for our dogs, but we have to understand. We have to understand what dogs are at their core, right? What is a dog? They're domesticated wolves. Look, ourselves, what are we? We're domesticated predators in a roundabout way. <laughs> We're evolved predators, if you will. Uh, and, and as a predator, we have certain instinctual needs that we need fulfilled. Dogs, are they? Oh, they're a type of predator, but they're domesticated wolves. And what are wolves? Wolves are pack migratory animals. So it kind of really just, when you think about it, it, it makes perfect sense. A dog needs a walk. It's their job. It's their mission. It's how they find food. It's, it's, uh, it's how they hunt. It's how they practice the hunt. It's how they maintain safety of the pack through the walk. So it doesn't matter how many thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years that we've been domesticating the dog. It doesn't matter the size. It doesn't matter the breed. Every dog on this planet needs a proper daily walk. Now, sure, your, your Pomeranian, your Toy Chihuahua, they're not going to need a two-hour walk or even an hour walk for that matter. Uh, but they still need a proper walk. Even if it's 10, 20 minutes, they still need a proper walk. Now, I would say, I think people often discount how much their dogs are capable of physically. I, I really do. Dogs are capable of so much more physically than people give them credit for. Let's not even get into dogs being pushed around in strollers or carried in purses. We're not doing that today. <clears throat> I think I just did a segment by with my with my tone, right? <laughs> my, my tone alone told you my feelings on that crap. Uh, anyway, so you got to walk your dog, guys. They got four legs. They're meant to use them. Get your dog out there and get them on a proper walk. I cannot stress it enough. I'm going to keep stressing it. You're going to keep hearing me say it because it's the most important part. Look, um, it, I, I've said it. It doesn't matter the issue, the behavioral issue I'm having. Uh, I'm experiencing with a client dog, it starts with a walk. Now, I, I've gotten some interesting, more intense cases that have come in lately. And, uh, you know, it's going to take some work. It's going to take some work. But one of the biggest things is these dogs have a ton of energy built up in them. Not just mental, but physical as well. I want you to get mental energy out with your dog. And that, that look, I, I've said it, walks are 85% mental, 15% physical. But we've got to get the physical side out too. And that's, that's the walks. I still want more physicality to come out with playtime, right? Throwing a ball, going swimming, uh, doggy day camps, uh, dog parks, whatever the, the means are to get your dog's physical energy out. We've got to do that too, you know? Um, and look, I'm, I'm going to make a little side note here. And it kind of goes along with people discounting what dogs are capable of. Um, and especially with, like, with, with coronavirus and everybody going out and adopting dogs, I don't know when it happened, but why have people forgotten that you have to exercise dogs? Why have people forgotten when you have a retriever, when you have a, when you have a German shepherd, when you have these high intensity, high energy working breeds, you cannot just coop them up in a house all day and expect them to be well adjusted. It's not going to happen. Okay. It's just not, um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to not hop on the soapbox too long right now, but guys, I got to wag the finger. I got to wag the finger. I, I, it makes me crazy when I walk into a home where somebody has a working dog or a high energy breed and I look at them and go, yeah, you need to be taking this dog for like pfft, at least an hour and a half walk in the morning, first thing in the morning, and then maybe another hour when you get home. And they look at me and go, are you crazy? I don't have time for that. And I really just want to look at them and go, so you don't have time for your dog. 
because that's what your dog needs. Sometimes I do. Uh, usually I try to use a little tact there, being honest with you guys, because, hey, that's what this is. This is, the, this is my one-on-one -on -one honesty time with people who want to hear it, right? Um, <laughs> uh, hey, I make my clients listen to this, too. People who hire me, you got to hear the truth. Uh, I say it in person, too. But, hey, all right. You know, look, I'm just being honest, guys. I'm just being honest. I don't understand why people get these high energy breeds, like like even something as simple as, you know, one of the most, the most popular dog in America, the lab, right? The Labrador Retriever. Labs were meant to work. They were meant to retrieve. They were meant to do something. And labs are so versatile that they can like literally do almost anything. You know what I mean? And And we coop them up in a house all day. And we don't give them walks. We don't give them mental stimulation. But we go, well, I give them tons of food and tons of treats and tons of toys. I don't understand why why they're still eating things. I don't understand why they still chew stuff up. I don't understand why they bark when I leave. I, because you have an understimulated, underworked, and underappreciated dog. Sorry. Truth time. Truth bomb. One of my famous truth bombs. Um, you know, I'm sorry. I got to get it out, guys. I have to say it. And, and the walk, the, like, I just don't understand. Just go walk your dog. You could solve so many of your behavioral issues that you're having with your own dog with a proper walk. Yeah, I, I'm just, ah, man, man, I can't stress it. And I think that's why it drives me crazy because there's something, the, the, the most simplistic solution. And why wouldn't you want to walk here? That's the other part that blows my mind. Why are you getting a dog if you don't want to go out outside and be, be, you know, again, it's one thing if you get a little, a dog that was literally bred to be a lap dog, that's one thing. Um, and again, know, know your personality, know what you like. There's nothing wrong with that, guys. You should match your dog's breed. Uh, or if you can, you know, I know rescue dog, but still rescue dogs, you can have some idea of what you're getting yourself into uh, breed wise. You know, you should match that. There's nothing wrong with that. That's healthy. You're going to be happier and your dog is, more importantly, no offense, people, <laughs> my job is to look out for the dogs too, okay? And look, I'll be honest, I'm dealing with with with, a, with one of the, with, <sighs> I'm dealing with this lately with a client, you know? And and it's nice to, to kind of talk to you guys a little about it. And even though, you know, you're just listening, we're not having a conversation, but hey, it's good to talk to you. Thank you for listening. Uh, but it stresses me out. It does. It stresses me out when I have a dog who is being understimulated, who I can clearly see is frustrated and I can't help with it because I can't be there seven days a week. You know, I, I that's, and I've talked about it before. That's, that's the tough part about my job sometimes is watching the dogs that can't do anything about their situation, but there's a human that can and is choosing not to. It's a tough part about my job, isn't it? Um, you want to save them all and you can't. You want to help them all, and you can't. It's not to say I haven't helped this dog and helped this person. I know I have, and I'm grateful for all of that. But, and here we are talking about walks, and look at that. I said I wasn't going to stay on my soapbox long. Let's jump off of it, guys. <laughs> but but that's just it. This, this gets to a more serious topic because that's how important it is to walk your dogs. Guys, it's so important. Have I said that yet? I don't think I've, have I said it yet? All right. <laughs> You've got to get out there and walk your dogs, guys, and you've got to do it properly. Start by creating focus with your dog, okay? The how and why, that we, we, well, we talked about the why. Let's talk about the how real quick. In a nutshell, walks start before you even get out on the walk. 
I want you to leash up your dog inside your house and start with something really basic. My 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 little my kissy noise exercise, right? I've talked about it. Kissy noise. You you got treats, you got your dogs leashed up, and what you're gonna do is you're gonna make a kissy noise. Get them to look at you and make eye contact. Now, if they don't want to make that eye contact initially, you can cheat a little bit, if you will. Now, this is a temporary cheat. What you're going to do is you're going to take the treat and make a, put it in your hand and make a fist so your dog can't get to the treat, but wave it in front of their nose so they know you have it. That way they know you have something to offer. Then take the treat, bring it up to your chin, create eye contact. Get your dog in a sit and stay, create that eye contact, say good boy or good girl if they're making the eye contact, and then feed the treat. Okay, a couple of those. Kissing noise, treat to the chin, make the eye contact, hold it. Good boy, good girl feed it. Okay. Within few repetitions, you'll be surprised. You'll be making that kissy noise and your dog's going to be looking right up at you. So really what we want to try, uh, what we want to try to accomplish with this kissing noise exercise is that we want to show your dog anytime they hear this noise, they should stop what they're doing and find you for information. Okay. And the information is usually going to be in the form of food to start with. Uh, but you'll find if you condition this well enough and you strengthen this hard enough, Man, you'll make that kissy noise and your dog's not going to care about what's happening. It's going to come find you for that info. That's really important, guys. Of course, having the ability to guide and direct focus is everything. And if you start with guiding and directing focus before you get out on the walk, I mean, it just makes it so much easier once you get out on the walk, right? Um, So yeah, start with the kissy noise inside. Then, of course, you're going to start to walk out the front door at some point. And as you do, kissy noise. Keep their focus on you rewarding that eye contact and rewarding that focus. Now, I think one big mistake people make on the walk is opening the door and immediately walking out with their dog. No, open the door, hang out in a sit and stay. Let your dog see everything outside and you're going to stay inside just in a sit and stay there. Then maybe close the door, give them a treat, say, good boy, do it over and over. Open the door, let them sit, take it in as long as they're being calm. Close the door, not a big, that way we're showing them it doesn't matter if the door opens or closes, not a big deal right? And you don't bolt. We're teaching two things. One, we're kind of desensitizing the overexcitement of the door. And two, we're showing them, hey, you don't bolt. You're just going to hang out when the door opens. Awesome. Okay. Now you're starting off with a good state of mind. You're getting them nice and calm before we go for a walk. Again, big mistake people make is getting their dogs amped up for the walk. There's no reason to. They're going to be excited enough, right? They know they're going for a walk. So you don't have to go, hey, do you want to go for a walk? Do you want to go for a walk? What? Get them jumping and crazy and you can't even leash them up. No, it's, hey, come here. Sit, good boy, leash him up, walk out the door, nice and calm, okay? Now, if your dog starts to get too excited the second you walk out the door, you can always turn around, come back inside, and hit that reset button. You know, guys, you can always look at it that way. Take baby steps to try to get outside and get down on, you know, out into the sidewalk or the street, wherever you walk. Uh, but if they get too excited, if they start pulling as, you get, as, you're, as you're walking down the driveway, making your way down, turn around and go back inside. Hit the reset button, sit, stay, calm down, wait a minute or two, try it again. Okay, I'll be honest. Teaching your dog to walk is a process sometimes, especially like you get an older dog who's a rescue. It's not just a fresh puppy. and Maybe they're not the best on leash. It's going to take a little patience. It's going to take a little bit of time. Uh, and of course, a lot of repetition. Okay, but the worst thing you can do is let your dog pull you down the road or pull you out the door. I promise you, if you start with the walk controlled, Right? If you start inside controlled, open the door, only walk out a foot or two, keeping it controlled. If it's not, you're turning around and hitting that reset button. But if you take your time with this and keep it controlled and don't ever let it get out of control, once you get on the walk, I pro- you, you'll, you'll discover it makes it so much easier. Okay. Now, I always tell my clients, don't even worry about going for a true walk the first few times. What I'd rather you focus on is just that, focus, <laughs> right? Their focus, uh, making sure you're maintaining control before you leave and as you're leaving. 
you know, a lot of times I tell them, just go up and down the driveway a few times, hang out in front of your house. If you, you know, just for the, the first few walks, maintain, make sure you can maintain focus and control. Once you know you have it walking in and out of the house a thousand times, and no, sure, go try to go for a little walk. But you might discover if you create that focus first, getting out on the walk won't even be a problem. Okay. So honestly, guys, the way you create a good walk is by starting before you even get out on the walk. But at the end of the day, you just, you got to get out there and walk your dog. You got to get out there and walk your dog. I'm going to say it a thousand more times if you listen to me. (laughs) Because again, guys, look, in all my years of experience, the walk solves most every problem. Uh, A lot of times, once we give our dogs a proper walk, it gives them something to do. And, you know, if you have a dog who's maybe a little mischievous, maybe uh, pulls things out of the laundry they shouldn't or chews things they shouldn't in the house, you might discover some of these issues go away because your dog is no longer bored and frustrated in the house. They're being given something to do and they're going to come back and just take a nap instead. Really awesome stuff. So look, I cannot stress it enough. You keep hearing me say it. You keep, you keep hearing me say the same thing over and over. Good. I want it to be ingrained in your brain. (laughs) Get out there and walk your dog. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's the first pets. Now, this is a brand new segment. We're going to be talking about the first pets of the United States of America. Yeah, of course, over the years, we have had a lot of different animals, pets in office of the President of the United States, and uh, we're going to talk all about them. Now, animals and pets, really, they're closely related with the history of the United States. And interesting to note, only three presidents have not had any presidential pets while in office. Those presidents are James K. Polk, Andrew Johnson, and Donald Trump. However, Johnson did take care of some of the, um, you know, mice that found their way into his bedroom, feeding them and taking care of them apparently in other ways as well. Now, today we're going to start with the very first president. Yes, George Washington. Figure we got to start there. And he was definitely a dog lover among an animal lover. There's so much history involving George Washington and his dogs. Now, of course, dogs were, you know, it was a different time period. And originally, George Washington was a farmer and plantation owner. So he had knowledge of animals and breeding. Now, his love and appreciation for dogs was most likely a little bit different than you or I. As, you know, again, it was a different time. You know, at the time, dogs were really mostly considered a working animal and were bred for a specific purpose. Now, all the dogs kept at Mount Vernon, they were most likely kept for hunting, uh, at least most of them, right? That was George Washington's love for fox hunting that naturally led to his interest in dog breeding. He kept a tightly run kennel. He was actually known to visit the kennels every morning and every evening to exp- inspect all the dogs. He frequently hunted with them, known to go out weekly or even sometimes up to three times a week. He also hunted birds with spaniels, using them to flush and retrieve, and also used a Newfoundland named uh, Germer, excuse me, Germer? Yeah, Germer, there we go, for duck hunting. I had to write that one down. Uh, (laughs) His breeding programs, they came out of a need for a faster hound than that of the English foxhound, of course, that was brought over. And his good friend, the Marquis de Lafayette, when he heard that Washington needed a better hound, he was sent a group of French hounds. Now, these dogs were much more aggressive, and they were eventually bred with Washington stock, and this ended up creating an all-new breed. Uh, yeah, a new breed altogether. Now, the AKC recognizes that Washington was not only a founding father of the United States, but also, of course, a founding father of the American Foxhound. 
They also note that in the American English Coonhound, the Treeing Walker Coonhound, and the Blue Tick Coonhound, there you go, Nemo, uh, they were also likely influenced by his quest for a superior dog. Uh, really kind of fascinating, all these American breeds that ended up coming out of, um, you know, George Washington's influence. Now, there are many dog breeds besides hounds kept at Mount Vernon. Uh, of course, he had those hounds, but he also had herding dogs, terriers, non-sporting dogs, working dogs, and some toy breeds as well, believe it or not. The documented breeds at Mount Vernon that were you know, specifically written down were Briards, French Hounds, English Foxhounds, Dalmatians, Greyhounds, Italian Greyhounds, Mastiffs, Pointers, Newfoundlands, Spaniels, and many Terriers. I mean, wow, why, quite, quite the wide variety. Now, Washington loved spending his time at Mount Vernon, and when he was reluctantly called to Philadelphia, he actually took his favorite hound with him, Sweet Lips. Interestingly, his love for his dog also brought about human relationships. Once while he was on a walk with Sweet Lips on the streets of Philadelphia, his hound actually caught the eye of Elizabeth Powell, wife of Samuel Powell, the wealthy mayor of Philadelphia. Now, when she stopped him to compliment on his hound, Washington proudly informed her that it was his, quote, perfect foxhound that he himself had bred. Elizabeth brought Washington to her husband's attention, leading to an advantageous political association for both men. Now, another great dog story from Mount Vernon is recorded where a French hound named Vulcan stole an entire ham intended for Martha Washington's guests. The dog made off with the ham and actually even outran the kitchen staff that was chasing after him. After the staff informed Martha of the updated menu for the evening, the guests actually found it quite amusing, while Martha, on the other hand, was not amused at all. Now, dogs were not the only animals kept up at Mount Vernon. They also kept birds and deer as well. Now, canaries, cockatoos, green parrots were known to have been kept over the years, and they even had goldfish too. Uh, so really just an interesting and fascinating and endless amount of history with animals and our president. So I'm looking forward to bringing you guys more information about all the presidents and their amazing pets. The answer to today's trivia question what is the only butterfly known to migrate? It's the monarch butterfly. Yes, unlike other butterflies that can overwinter as larvae and pupae, even as adults in some species, monarchs cannot survive the cold winters of northern climates. Next on Speak-A-Dogcast, it's our listener Q&A. The first question today comes from Steve from Orlando, Florida. Steve says, My mom got a lab puppy, but I am worried it's going to be too much dog for her. She's had labs her whole life, but it's been about 15 years since she has had a puppy, and she is 78 years old now. Can this be done safely? What are your thoughts? Great question, Steve. I've been, you know, uh, dealing with a bit of this myself lately with some clients. Uh, I definitely want to provide you some insight here, you know. Look, it's a tough conversation to have with your parents, isn't it? To kind of say, hey, maybe this dog is too much for you. But Steve, I'm going to lean on the side of agreeing with you. Look, it's not to say it can't be done, right? It's not. And, and look, it depends on how old this dog is and if you really, if I you know, really can do it successfully. Um, it's not, a, it's not a cut and dry answer of yes and no. Look, 78 is 78. It's the new, uh, you know, <laughs> 78 is the new 58. I don't know. Um, I'm just being silly, but 
I don't know your mother specifically. Look, if she's got physical issues, then I would say, yeah, maybe that is a little too much dog for her. It's not to say you can't send this dog off to a professional for training, get them really top to bottom trained and in great shape that it doesn't matter who holds that leash, that dog's going to obey. But I'll be honest, that training is is in-depth, intensive, usually takes a little while and also costs a pretty penny. So you really want to do that, you can. And, and I'm all for it. And there's nothing wrong with that because maybe you do want, maybe your mom does want a big dog at home with her, uh, you know, and I, I get that. I can understand that. So you, you kind of have to look at this from a very personal perspective. It, it's each one of these cases is going to be a little different and up to the individual. Look, my, my, my golden rule, I'll be honest, is, and I'm, I'm not trying to hate on anybody, guys. It's just a generalized rule. You hit about 70 years old, you need to be thinking about the kind of dog you're getting. Just being honest, you know? Um, whether you physically are, are not already in a good shape to be able to walk the dog. Look, I just talked about it this episode, right, Steve? Um, that you need to get out there and walk your dog. And if you're talking about a yellow lab, which you are, or a lab, I mean, you, you know, you didn't say yellow lab, you said lab. Um, but if you're talking about a lab puppy, this is a dog that's going to need extensive exercise, right, guys? I mean, come on. It's a lab. So it's a tough thing. If your mom is willing to hire a dog walker, take them to doggy day camps, all this kind of stuff to be able to supplement. Or if she, hey, maybe she can still walk the dog for an hour, and then I'm all for, you know, I'm all for it. But you have to look at it from both sides. We want to keep your mom safe, but we also need to make sure we're doing the best to fulfill this dog. Because if we don't, then we do get frustrated. If we don't train the dog, we can get frustrating behavior. So I know I'm kind of like beating around the bush going back and forth on it can be done. It can't be done. It can be done. It can't be done. <laughs> because that's the truth in it. Uh, I don't exactly recommend it, but it can be done. Um, you know, that's just that, that's kind of, that's really what I have to say. There's, there's my thoughts on it. It can be done safely, but you really have to be setting that dog and your mom up for success in order to have it done safely. You know, next question. This comes from Andrew from Akron, Ohio. Andrew says, my wife is allergic to dogs, but I really want to get a dog. I'm not a fan of the doodle mixes and I don't want a small dog. I like to fish, I like the outdoors, and I want a dog that can come along and do the same with me. What are your suggestions? You know, Andrew, first thing I want to suggest is, uh, well, I would ask you is, has your wife had a, an allergy test? And not just for dogs, but everything. Everything. And the reason I ask, uh, you know, is I'm actually, I'm going through this myself to some degree. <laughs> my, my poor wife, has had, she had to get an allergy test a while back because her allergies had really been bothering her. Um, here she was thinking she's going to go in and they're just going to say, hey, you're allergic to pollen, right? Or maybe it's the palm trees. Sometimes the pollen that the palms give off down here. Well, well it turns out she's allergic to like everything, <laughs> not just the plants, but she's my poor wife is allergic to dogs and, and cats. And we have a cat. And of course, how many dogs do we have here all the time? Um, but interestingly enough, and here's the point I'm getting at, she's more allergic to pollen and mold. Now, mold in Florida is like, I mean, I don't need, I can't even think of a comparison right now. Good metaphor for it. Uh, but you know what I mean? There's mold. So here's what I'm getting at. Interestingly enough, her allergist told her most people are not deathly allergic to dogs that think they are. Here's the little secret. Okay. Of course, we know dogs have fur. Some dogs have hair. Majority of dogs out there have fur. Some dogs have hair. And their hair, when dogs do have hair, their hair is exactly like our hair. It's the same. Same dander, same everything. Okay? And 
most people tend to do better with dogs that have hair because they think they're allergic to dogs with fur. But what ends up happening, according to this allergy, according to this doctor, is that people are, are allergic to pollen or, or whatever the trees and stuff outside is. And when a dog with fur goes outside, even just to use the bathroom or be in the yard for a little bit or walk outside, their fur is naturally very oily. It's fur, it's furry, and it picks up all of this pollen and dander and all of these things people are allergic to and then deposits them all over your house, right? So most people are not necessarily highly allergic to dogs, but are in fact highly allergic to all the things outside that the dog brings in. And when you have a dog with hair, just like us, right? We don't tend, that stuff doesn't cling to us the same way it clings to an animal with fur. So an animal, a dog that has hair, is not going to bring in those allergens nearly as badly. And that's why people that quote unquote are allergic to dogs tend to tolerate dogs with fur, or excuse me, with hair better. So... Now that I gave you that full-on roundabout story, go get an allergy test for your wife. That's the first thing I would suggest and see if she is truly allergic to dogs or the things that dogs are bringing in. Now, my poor wife is having to suffer through the allergy shots and what a, oh my gosh, what an ordeal. And she has just been brave and kicking butt through it because man, it, kick, it kicks your butt. You know, it makes your allergies worse to start with. And again, when you live in, <laughs> when you live in my house, it doesn't matter how much you vacuum, there's still dogs here. You know, uh, If you're allergic to, to pollen, to dogs, to all these things, it, it's going to be tough. So, um, my, my wife's been kicking through it and, and braving through it. Um, so that's the first thing I would suggest. Go get an allergy test and make sure it's truly that. Don't get me wrong. There are people out there who are truly highly allergic to dog fur as well. That's a thing. But again, according to this doctor, this allergist, uh, it tends to not be the dog fur and dander so much that people are allergic to. And it's not even the dander. When they are allergic, it's not the dander. It's the skin cells that they actually are. Believe it. I mean, crazy, right? Um, okay, so that's the first. But if you want to talk about a breed, you know, it's funny. You say fishing and you say outdoors and water. My, uh, my brain immediately goes Portuguese water dog. You know, uh, that's where I'm going with it. <laughs> there are a lot of different breeds out there you can get, but hey, that's just where my brain's going. But to me, I would research your wife's allergies first and then start kind of going with the dog breeds, you know, because, hey, you might be able to get the the breed you really want or the mutt mix dog you really want, the rescue dog you might want to go get um, or, or, you know, so I, that that's where I'd go with it. Start there, start with the human side, eliminate all that, and then maybe start looking into breeds from there. That's going to wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. Apple Podcast users, leave me a great review or a five-star rating if you love what you're hearing. You can give me all your questions. Email me, questions at speakadogcast.com. Have a wonderful week. Don't forget, get out there and walk your dog. Walk your dog.